Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. Yes, I am your host, uh, Bernard Beitman, MD. And as I keep telling you, I'm a psychiatrist, and that means a lot of different things. Partly, I'm, on, I can, I'm supposed to know what crazy is, so I'm, I can do all this stuff about coincidences and make a distinction between what seems to be realistic and what seems to be questionable. I liked studying this stuff because they help show me the coincidence, uh, like synchronicity and serendipity, help show me how reality works. And they will show you how reality works if you're interested, and at least be able to tell you something about how you can be helped and are helped and are being helped, even though you might not be paying attention to it, by meaningful coincidences. Here's one of those ones that I like. Uh, our coincidence and coincidence. Um, board members have been sharing stories about contact with uh, deceased loved ones. And I, I just realized I had one of those recently in a funny different way. Um, on November 2nd uh, of this year, uh, I, of 2022, I received a check in the mail for the Coincidence Project for $1,000. That was our first major contribution. And it was a surprise. Uh, I, it was not solicited. And we were just beginning our fundraising effort. What a coincidence. I mean, that's the kind of coincidence I like. The first names of the donor were, were Anne Marie, with an E on, Anne, on the end of Anne, Anne Marie. These are also the names, the first names of my mother. So I got to think, well, maybe my mother's getting involved with this stuff too, the way my father is starting to has been involved ever since I started talking about the story and he and me and choking. But that's for you to see in my book if you haven't heard it already. Our guest today is uh, Lisa Buxbaum. She's an author, a social entrepreneur, and boy, what an entrepreneur, and, and, psychology to, and positive psychology thought leader. She's passionary, a visionary, driven by great passion and action. An intuitive healer, well-loved inspirational speaker, expert workshop leader, and facilitator, Lisa has shared her wisdom with thousands of people worldwide. She is the CEO and founder of Soaring Words, president-elect, this is cool, of the International Positive Psychology Association's Health and Well-Being Division. I mean, positive psychology is a big, big movement in psychology, and it's nice to see meaningful coincidence getting to be more and more a part of that. And she's the author of her debut memoir, Soaring into Strength, A Love Transcends Pain, and we'll be talking about that book today. She holds a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and an MBA from Columbia University. Lisa lives in New York and she gets up every morning in the cold, walks down the street and goes swimming. Welcome to the show again, Lisa. Good to see you. Hey, Bernie. It's always fun and synchronistic to spend time together. I'm really glad to be here. Well, as you know, I like to hear coincidence stories. So 
please proceed, Lisa. Great. So uh, the story I want to share today is called The Butterfly's Kiss. And shortly after my only sibling and younger brother Gary died suddenly at only 35 years old, Butterflies served as a synchronistic reminder of him that brought tremendous comfort and joy to me in the middle of my grief journey. So when the Museum of Natural History announced that they were having a butterfly exhibit, I immediately knew that I had to go and bring my family. It was a blustery February day in New York City when my husband and I bundled up our two young sons and walked to the museum with anticipation. Because butterflies require warm temperatures, the exhibit was kept at very high temperature of like 104 degrees. So we had to walk through multiple doorways so that the butterflies wouldn't escape. And as we were walking through these different uh, walkways, we were shedding all the layers of our winter clothing. When we reached the exhibit, we gasped in wonder because there was a lush sanctuary where hundreds of butterflies were floating and darting in all directions. Suddenly, a bright blue butterfly, larger than my hand, darted into my cheek and planted like a big kiss. It careened into my face. In case I had missed the synchronistic message, which believe me, I did not, Dozens of children and family members started pointing at me and laughing and saying, look, look, look at that lady. And as everyone was looking in delight and wonder, tears of joy and gratitude swelled in my eyes. You see, my brother Gary had beautiful blue eyes. It was really his defining feature. And I interpret this butterfly's kiss as a powerful sign that we were and we are still connected. That's a wonderful story, Lisa. And I imagine you've had other uh, connections with Gary. Yes. Um, one of the most uh, disturbing and informative was uh, from a story in my book called Big Sister Radar Goes on High Alert. My husband and I were uh, vacationing at my parents' backyard. I live in the city. They, at the time, lived in the suburbs. We were there with our two-year-old son. And we were sitting in the backyard and suddenly I jumped up from the lawn chair and had this message that said, go to him now. And I didn't know what that was about, but I knew my brother was in trouble. And then the next morning when I called his office, his secretary read what was a suicide note to me. And that led me to call the Broward County Police Sheriff's Office where they discovered my brother and it was a failed uh, suicide attempt that uh, fortunately he lived for many years after that. But that just shows that when you're open to being open and when you're a high frequency coincidenter and open to the invisible realities that are so powerful, it really helps as an internal GPS that can guide you and instruct you to live more purposely and with uh, greater awareness of everything. Well, that certainly is the idea of the coincidence projects to help people live with more purpose using meaningful coincidences. Yes. One of the purposes that you've done is go ahead and write a book. Um, how do coincidences play a part in your coming to write uh, your book? Well, um, I knew that I was always, when I give inspirational keynote talks or when I've done programs with half a million people and companies and hospitals, uh, I have a, a voice and a mouth and I love to tell stories and I'm very vested in the healing power of positive narrative, the work of Dr. Jamie Pennebaker. And 
So I knew that writing this book would be a way to share my stories, my family's stories of the trifecta of trauma that happened in my family in a 10 month period with a general population, specifically people who are grappling with setbacks, trauma, or serious illness for themselves or a loved one. And I knew that sharing my synchronistic stories, um, not as a cheap parlor game, but as an integral part of the narrative of my life would inspire people when they're at the bottom of the bottom of their life or when they're flying at the top of the world to just be open to sharing these positive, powerful coincidence stories and messages with themselves. In other words, just digesting them and spending a little time with them and paying attention to what is this synchronistic or coincidence message trying to show me or helping me to see something with greater, greater clarity and in sharing my stories that are poignant and zany and funny, it's an invitation for people to think about the times in their lives where they experience profound or very simple coincidences and what that means to them so that they could start to live their life with greater clarity, fun, purpose, and awareness. That's a wonderful uh, intent because that's what the Coincidence Project is trying to help people do, uh, that you described. Soaring into strength, love transcends pain is Lisa's book. Um, you mentioned a trifecta of tragedy. Could you tell us about that trifecta and the coincidences that were involved there? Sure. So since I was a child, I wanted to help, whether it was rescuing a blind duck at the park we're defending my younger brother against bullies because he had serious childhood asthma and he was beaten up a lot and his nickname was asthma spaz. So I always found myself in the role of a helper during a time of a crisis. And then as an adult, a phone call at four o'clock in the morning launched this trifecta of trauma that changed my life forever. There were three experiences with death and illness that happened in my family in a 10 month period. The first one was Gary's death. And two hours after getting that phone call, I found myself on the steps of my parents' house where I had to tell them the terrible news that their son had died. And then five weeks after that, my father had his second bout of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the worst kind and the worst stage. And the doctor said that daddy wasn't gonna live. But when we looked into his eyes, my mother and I knew that he wanted to fight and he wanted to live. And we became Team Charlie. We created all this love and positive energy on the oncology floor in the hospital. And every single patient, the doctors and nurses came to dad's room every single day because they wanted to see what the riddle of the day and the message of the day was so that they could laugh or smile just for a few moments in the middle of the serious medical challenges that they and their family were involved with. And then uh, 10 months after my brother died, I was in the middle of Las Vegas, launching the largest telecommunications company in the world at the largest trade show in the world. When my phone rang and it was Jacob, my husband saying, I need to talk to you right away. So I was like, honey, I love you. I'll call you tonight. The Broadway actors are about to go onto our stage and the show is opening. And he said, Lisa, don't hang up. Jonathan, that was that is our oldest son, is catastrophically ill, and you need to come home immediately. So I knew that no parent would joke about the health of his or her child. And 12 hours later, I was speeding through the night, flying back to my son. 
for the next four months, I was a 24 hour seven caregiver because when your child is ill, your child needs constant care, emotional and physical support. He was having seizures and twitching and drooling. So I had to even sleep in his bed to massage his tired limbs and comfort him and help him go back to sleep. So suffice it to say, I was pretty exhausted as we all were. And it was my sacred obligation to be positive and to be there for him. So from five to six in the morning, the neurologist had said, get out of Manhattan. So we rented a tiny cottage about 12, out, 12 miles away from here. And we lived there for four months. So I would walk along the beach, crying, singing, praying. That was my only time to let it out and just be alone with my thoughts. And the name and feeling soaring words came to me from above. And I had this knowingness. I got chills. I stopped in my tracks. And I knew that everything I had done in my life was to prepare me for the reason that I was born, which is to help millions of people, children, families, adults, the healthcare professionals that take care of them to take an active role in their self-healing in order to experience greater agency and resilience, greater self-awareness and greater joy, no matter what was happening in their life. So to me, that was the defining moment in my life. And I feel that being open to coincidence and intuition and a connection to the divine reality, which some people could just call universal reality or energy. I don't get too caught up in the language of it, but there is something that is much larger than each one of us. And that when I tap into that flow, um, that's where the magic happens. So that's um, the reason that was the fulcrum, the, the inflection point in my life uh, I closed up my successful award-winning marketing communications firm. I started working on the business plan for Soaring Words. I incorporated it as a not-for-profit. And that was back in 2000. And since then, uh, 22 years later, we've helped half a million people, teaching them how to get in touch with their inner knowingness so that they could take active roles in their self-healing. And since the global pandemic, I don't know anyone who isn't uh, up for getting a little more fortification, a little more nourishment, a little more resilience. So it's a very exciting time to be doing this kind of work. Um, you know, reminds me of that adage, may you live in exciting times. So in addition to all the upheaval and turbulence and, and loss of life and uh, isolation that people have experienced during the pandemic, there's also been many blessings, which have also profoundly changed the way that we communicate with other people, being able to connect with them on Zoom, being able to have heightened appreciation for your neighbors and those people and things in your life that you perhaps prior to COVID took for granted. So I feel that the Coincidence Project, Soaring Words, the launch of my debut memoir, Soaring Into Strength, Love Transcends Pain, we're putting these important labors of love out there to show people that there's a lot of light and radiance within each one of us and available to them if they're open to being open and switch from rumination and the negativity bias to feeling a little more hopeful and more positive. Why don't you, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you mean by inner knowing? 
So um, I say in the opening of my book that regardless of what's happening in your life, if you can just quiet yourself a little, whether that's taking a warm bath or going for a walk in nature or just sitting still and not doing anything, turning off all the electronics, what a concept. When you can spend those moments, and it only takes a few moments to just be with yourself, first of all, you're always in really good company. But secondly, that's when you can tap into that um, that's when you can tap into that small, still voice within. Some people call that the divine spark, the divine energy, but it's that inner knowingness. That's what I call it. And when I can quiet the hustle bustle of New York City and my very busy active to-do list every day, that's when um, these messages come to me. For me, because I love water, uh, it's usually when I'm swimming six days a week or when I take a bath four or five nights a week with a candle, that's when I get these epiphanies. It just I'm a kinesthetic, so I just get a message it comes to me or I see it and sense it. It's already fully developed, but perhaps it hasn't happened yet or it's the answer to a probing question or business challenge. So um, that's what I mean by an internal knowingness. And like anything in life, uh, whether it's tasting a new uh, kind of food or going to an art exhibit or a movie, you're the only person that can really sense and know how that is landing for you, how that is uh, connecting with you. So it's really about giving people permission to develop and connect with their inner knowledge, their their likes, their dislikes, their values, their intentionality to strengthen that muscle, to strengthen those voices so that someone is not a people pleaser or someone is not never putting themselves in the equation. You mentioned that you're a kinesthetic person. Mm -hmm. How does that play out with inner knowing? Well, um, again, there's lots of labels for this. Dr. Lisa Miller, who's the founder of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute at Columbia University and Teachers College. Uh, she got her PhD with Dr. Martin Seligman, who's my mentor and the founder of the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program. So when I interviewed her on my Soaring into Strength podcast, and when we've had many conversations, she talks about in her book, she calls it the awakened brain. Other people like fellow Coincidence Project board member, Chris Mackey, who wrote a phenomenal book about synchronicity and positive psychology. He calls me a psychic medium. That sounds a little too woo-woo for most people. So uh, I like to just say that I think we're using about 10% of our brains. I think that everyone has this vast repertoire of knowingness, whether it's intuition or more awakened capacity in our brain. And the very uh, serious, robust scientist at Columbia University School of Physicians and uh, the medical school, they've done a lot of fMRI studies on the brains of people, as has Dr. Richard Davidson at the University of Wisconsin in his amazing lab. They've done studies on the brains of monks, and they show that when people, regular people and highly spiritual people, 
are devoted to increasing this capacity, it actually changes the chemistry and the neurocircuitry of their brains. Neuroplasticity, which is a fancy 25 syllable word for what I'm talking about, is in fact one of the greatest scientific discoveries of recent time. And we used to think that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, that as we got older, we would reduce our capacity to change and evolve. But neuroplasticity shows us that we that our brains, in fact, are very plastic, they're very nimble. And by being open to being open and learning about this, reading your fantastic book, learning about synchronicity, joining us at the Coincidence Project gatherings each month, that there's opportunities once you experience something, then you get more comfortable with it. It becomes less of a jaw-dropping moment. And then for me, I, I expect coincidences to happen all the time. I expect miraculous, synchronistic um, things to happen all the time, and they do. So I was just thinking about the National Institute of Health uh, on Sunday, and then Sunday in the middle of the night, Monday morning, when I turned on my computer, there was an invitation to fill out a grant application to send a letter of intent for an NIH grant. So that's what I mean. That's the part of intentionality, being open to being open. And then when these coincidences or synchronicities happen, to pay attention to them, don't just discount them because that in some way feels disrespectful. So um, that's what I mean by that. Well, that's uh, great to hear about uh, about NIH uh, asking you to to uh, submit something to them, uh, a grant application possibility. That means you're getting out there. If those guys heard about it, if those guys have heard about you. Planting what, a lot of seeds. <laughs> what What I'm curious about for our viewers and our listeners is not uh, so much about how things happen. Uh, and what they can do, but how you, as an example, are able to tune into yourself to get information, that inner knowing that you talked about. Earlier, you described yourself as being kinesthetic. Some people are more visual, some people more auditory, and I think that's that those are good definitions. So mm -hmm. there's different ways in which information of the inner knowing gets to people. Mm -hmm. Some of it is called from your gut, some of it is... Uh, a, an actual voice or seems like an actual voice. Some of it's kind of an intuition. Uh, I mean, a, a, an, a, an impulse, a feeling of wanting to do something. So how, what, how do you register uh, the potential information uh, that is coming from inside of you? Choice E, all of the above. <laughs> Sometimes I have uh, visitations where deceased loved ones of mine or people that I don't know, but I know their living relatives come to me with very specific messages. You could call them dreams. I call them visitations. And they know that I'm going to share those with other people. So that's one way. And other is the kinesthetic where I'll just an idea will come to me, whether that's a phrase or a person in the exact time. Another thing is sometimes, um, you know, getting that phone call from someone that I was just thinking about that I hadn't spoken to or thought about in five or 10 years. So all of the above. And I get back to being open to being open and knowing and recognizing that this is just a talent or aptitude or a gift that I have cultivated 
and that I respect and that I rely on. Just like when I go to the gym, you know, the first day I went there, I didn't expect to do 30 minutes on the elliptical at, you know, number seven, I built up and built up and built up, but now I can do that and, and so on. So for me, I, I don't look at it as that I'm better than anyone or more special than anyone. Um, my mom thinks that, but um, I think that I like to think of it that it's working in collaboration, deep spiritual collaboration with God or with the universal flow or with other beings that are coming to me to help me uh, help other people. I have a private healing imagery practice called Flow Motion, and I've had the privilege and honor of helping about 120 people who had incurable terminal diagnoses. And many of them, about three quarters of them, have gone into complete remission. Um, again, I'm not saying that I'm God and I don't play God on television, but I think that there's tremendous uh, room for each one of us to take an active role in our self-healing. And let me be very clear, uh, as a person in a human body right now, I do know that I am mortal in terms of this physical body, but I do believe that the soul is immortal. Um, and I've had a lot of personal experience with that. So it's not something that's up for discussion with me. I have confirmation validity facts that this has happened to me time and time again. So um, I look at it as an opportunity to share healing or positivity um, with people so that feel they don't feel bereft of hope, so they don't feel isolated. The number one thing when people are going through a challenging time, whether that's an illness or a trauma or a setback, the number one uh, response to that is feelings of isolation, incompetency, I'm a, I'm a failure, those kinds of thoughts. And by helping people connect to their internal knowingness, it can help to fortify them to keep their own counsel. It can fortify them to have this internal guidance system so that they can move forward and thrive or even flourish, even if times are difficult. When you work with people who are potentially terminally ill or with chronic illnesses that are really getting difficult for them, what do you help activate in them? And perhaps you could tell us a story without telling any, any specifics about the person. But what, what, when you met with these 120 people and helped some, many of them go into remission, what were you specifically trying to do? What principles were you applying that allowed you to be able to help that to happen? So uh, many people refer to this as channeling. And again, that gets back to the fact that it's not just me, Lisa. It's me in concert with God or other healing forces. So uh, one of my research directors, she is in Latin America. I love her. We're very close. We've presented at several conferences. In fact, we met at a scientific conference where she came up to me and said, I want to be part of your work. And then the next year she did a study with hundreds of people in Latin America at the largest pediatric hospital in the continent. So one day we were talking because we collaborate frequently. So we were on Zoom and I noticed her lower lip was quivering. 
And I said, Pamela, what's wrong? Because, you know, it's a human connection and it didn't make sense to keep going through the data. So she completely burst into tears and said, my, my, my mother, my mother, she's got this terrible diagnosis and she's going to die. So I blurted out, as I always do, would your mother be open to doing some healing imagery? She said, yes, absolutely. So I said, call your mother and find out when she can meet with me and we'll do it on Zoom. So it was especially interesting and beautiful because um, Pamela, so the next day, Pamela and her mother were sitting next to each other in Zoom. And I remember it vividly because Pamela is a large, beautiful woman and her mother's quite diminutive. And she was sitting there, she was wearing this sweater, which had little polka dots, like ball pom-poms on it, which was very cute. So I would say hello and explain who I am and what I'm gonna be doing. And then Pamela would translate in Spanish very quickly to her mother. Her mother would answer in Spanish and then Pamela would tell me what she said. I speak Spanish, but I wanted to really make sure that it was 100% accurate because you know it's all about being of service. As you know, as a physician, you wanna be of service to the people that you're trying to help. The long story short was, a lot of people, when they think about cancer, they think about going in there and blasting those cells, but the cancer is part of your body. So it's kind of important to be a little tender or caring so that while you're blasting the cells, you don't end up killing the patient. So I asked her how she would, first of all, we blessed and thanked the cancer cells for coming, which sounds totally counterintuitive, but it's just taking that moment to bless the the lesson that you're being uh, afforded to learn, even though it's a great calamity in your life. So after we did that, I said, what would you like to do to help invite your cells to leave your body? And she immediately said, without missing a breath, I she, she went like this and she saw these little bunnies eating the cancer cells. And she kept making the little face of a little adorable bunny. And we were laughing and Pamela was laughing and her mother was laughing and we recorded the session. So every morning and night for the next four months, they did this imagery together. Well, when she went back for her next doctor's appointment and then the one after and the one after, they were totally perplexed. And they said, what did you do? What are you doing? Are you going to a different doctor? What, what are you doing? And she just said that she was doing the imagery. And that's just a small example of one person who was able to really have the agency and the courage and the belief that she was doing everything in her power, working in concert with her doctors, working in conjunction with her loving, supportive family and neighbors to cure herself. So I have lots of stories of people that I had the honor and privilege of guiding through these times in their lives some of whom, you know, did die of very tragic illnesses, but they all felt that it gave them an opportunity to come closer with themselves, with their loved ones, with their families. And uh, they felt that they had healed a lot of things that perhaps they were also carrying around. The daughter uh, that you spoke with, whose mother you helped, you noticed that daughter was having some lip movement movements too, much yeah. like the rabbit that mm -hmm. you came across. What, yeah. what, how do you understand that one? Well, it's just the um, 
you know, we, the Buddhists say that it's an illusion that we're separate from each other, that we're actually all connected. And I guess also a more scientific explanation would be mirror neurons. You know, while we were all, our eyes are closed during the imagery, we all were envisioning those, you know, well, first of all, they do the imagery without speaking. And most of the time when they're having their imagery trip, as it were, without using psychedelics, I usually can see the same colors, the same images that they're seeing because I'm tapping into their uh, experience. So that's what happened that while she was doing it, I was feeling that levity and joy. I was laughing. But then when she shared it, Pamela and I both, you know, and then we worked on it a little longer. So it really go into her body in a deeper way. So I, th I think it was like a mirror neuron kind of thing. We were all experiencing those bunnies to sort of help facilitate the healing process. And recently, uh, this woman, Pamela, got married and I flew to Lima, Peru to be at their wedding and her mother's in perfect radiant health, never been better. So that was really nice to be able to hug her in person. Yeah, be able to hug her in person. Uh, from what I understood of your story uh, is that you saw Pamela making those lip movements before you met her with her mother. I think it was during the session, but um, you asked Pamela what's wrong, and she oh yes, 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 yeah. Her lip was trembling, you know, like when you're trying to not cry, but you can't help it. You're right. That's a great connection. That's a great thread. It, so, it, yeah, she. It, it's almost like it was a. a hint. It was yeah. a hint. Yeah, it, was, it sounded like a hint. Yeah, of what, uh, a pre, yeah, of what you were about to be able to do. Very uh, astute, Bernie. Very astute. Well, thanks. It's those kinds of details that I find um, important for us to be able to talk about sometimes because so many people see a detail of something and forget about it. And right in the middle of it is a coincidence that's worth paying attention to. And right. what, what you have um, developed, Lisa, um, is your own uh, psychic ability, whatever uh, Chris calls it. Um, you're able to, to get information somehow um, and we'll say somehow in the way you're saying it, you go to your inner knowing and you connect with the greater intelligence, which is in, in your word, God is the way you want to talk about it. And but you're open to very many other ideas about it. But there's something else going on out there and we can tap into it. And that information can come into us. So it's your ability to do that is uh, is serving you as a model for other people to do something like that. And that's why I've asked you about the details of how the information comes to you, because you have to be open to being open, which is a thing I'm gonna ask you to describe. What does it mean to be open to being open? That's the kind of detail I get into because when you're telling somebody in a manual like way, how you do this, what does open to being open mean? And then more details I'd like to hear if, you can get to them about how you know you know something sure so i'll give you a great story from my book um the my father had five strokes during the last nine years of his life he had aphasia which is a kind of stroke that affects only part of the brain so that my dad understood everything cognitively and he was very proud of that 
but it was hard for him to access the different words from the file cabinet where they were stored in his brain. So I just- In order to be able to speak them. Yes, yes, thank you. So I decided that um, I was going to move into my parents' apartment and become a death doula to just accompany my father during the last uh, time of him here on earth. And my mother and I were very clear that we didn't want my dad to have to go back into the hospital. So I was living there and um, being open to being open. I'm going to give you two stories. Uh, One morning, I went back to my apartment because I thought, you know, I love my husband dearly. He's brilliant. But when it comes time that I give him that phone call that the inevitable has happened, is he going to be able to find the black dress in my closet and the right shoes? I should just go home and pack that stuff up and put it on the hook and the inside of my closet so that when I call him, it'll be right there and it will be impossible for him not to gather those things and bring them to me. I also felt it was um, disrespectful to bring those garments into my parents' home when my dad was very much alive. So as I darted to my house for less than an hour to pack this stuff up, I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine, Donna. And she said, you know, Lisa, there's something called the surge. And everyone thinks when the surge happens that the person's getting better. Like maybe then the end isn't near and maybe you could tell, could tell hospice to go away. They're, they're turned the corner, they're coming back. And in fact, within 24 hours, usually after the surge, there's a steep decline and the person you know exits stage right. So that was really useful. And, you know, we said goodbye. And and that afternoon, uh, when I went back to my parents' house, my dad had been very, you know, he'd really been fading fast. As I walked in the door, his aide said, look at daddy. He's so happy. He's all cheery and bubbly. He's arm wrestling with me at the dining room table. And that's when the light bulb went off. This is the surge. So I said, let's go outside, let's go down the street, let's go buy some flowers for my mom who was at her exercise class. And that next 24 hours, we had the most beautiful, fantastic experience. We went into Central Park, we did all these fun, amazing things. So that was the surge. But if I hadn't been open to saying, why is Donna calling me at this moment with this information, I might've missed it and not put those two data points together. The next day, a different, very close friend, chosen family, her name is Loreen. She called to see how my parents were doing. And she said, apropos of nothing, you know, right before my mother died, I had the opportunity to read her eulogy to her. And my intuition said, pay attention. That's a great idea, Lisa. So when I got off the phone with Loreen, my mom was taking a shower. I was sitting with daddy at the dining room table. He was drinking his coffee. And all of a sudden he said, golden door, golden door. Now I knew exactly what he meant, but I said, what do you mean, daddy? Are you seeing somewhere of your trips that you went with mommy around the world, different countries? No, no. Are you seeing the golden door in heaven? Yes, yes. I said, well, are you scared? No, no. Hold on a minute, daddy. I'm just going to go get mom. (laughs) 
because it felt like this was a momentous conversation that she, as his loving spouse of over 59 years, should be part of. So I knock on the bathroom door. She's in the shower. She's like, I have soap in my hair. Give me 10 more minutes. I said, no, mom, you got to come in right away. So she did. And the three of us sat there. And she said, Charlie, what do you mean? And he said, you know what he said, I said a moment ago. And I knew that that was my moment because I had written his eulogy. Unlike my brother who just dropped dead suddenly, it was such a shock. I wanted to have the eulogy for my father. So I got my laptop and I said, daddy, you know, I had to write an essay for my writer's group. And I wrote a beautiful story about someone I love. And I picked you, can I read it to you? And then for the next half hour, I spoke very slowly and I read and we paused, we laughed at the funny parts, we cried at the sad parts and I had to change the tense so that it would be in the current tense to show him the respect because he was very much alive. And that's how I connected a coincidence of someone calling me that very morning that my father started seeing the golden door to tell me that she had had the beautiful privilege and amazing connection to read her mother the eulogy, which gave me the idea of reading my father's eulogy to him. And it was such a beautiful gift. Um, and that's what I mean by paying attention to these coincidence and synchronicity breadcrumbs or messages that we get. You, you did both of those uh, from friends of yours who said something to you that you heard and registered in you. And part of the the game of all this is to be willing to recognize that information around you can be useful to you in ways that you might not understand right now, but can be useful later. And you just illustrated that with two stories. The openness to being open is to be able to remember, because you have to hear it, then you have to remember that you were spoken to about things that could be important. So the intuitive part of what you did was put enough energy into what you were told by these two friends that seemed kind of where they come, where that come from. But you had a sense of feeling a knowingness that I have to remember this because it might be important. And that's that's the trick in all this. It wouldn't have been a you wouldn't have been a coincidence if you hadn't remembered. So there's something about being open to being open to being open to remembering, mm -hmm. to energizing the idea so that you might then use it later. And like anything that's highly contagious, you know, I, I curated the people closest to me very well. You know, these are people who are highly spiritual, highly evolved, uh, very connected. So coming from them also, but I have a story that just happened last week from a total stranger. I mean, it was someone who's world renowned, who I had uh, read his work and have even given workshops on his work, but I discovered him in a very coincidental way, but there are no coincidences for no reason. You know, they're, they're all there to propel us forward. So I, um, in the middle of creating a one woman solo show, based on the book, Soaring It to Strength, Love Transcends Pain. 
I'm working with an award-winning uh, Broadway director, Kristen Hanegi, who did School of Rock, and a beautiful, amazingly talented film and Broadway actress, uh, Maddie, um, Maddie Corman. So I took this six-week uh, solo show workshop, and I'm all on fire about it, and taking the stories from the book to create a 90-minute show. So since I live in New York City, I can go to Broadway shows and off-Broadway shows all the time. And I'm doing that with great frequency, specifically uh, solo shows. So I got tickets to this solo show called Everything's Fine, uh, starring Douglas McGrath. And he's the uh, playwright and screenwriter who's done many movies. And he did the Broadway show Beautiful, The Carol King Story. So I'm in the theater. It's Saturday night. Jacob and I are sitting there. And there's a couple, one seat away from us. So of course, I open my mouth and say, hi, what made the two of you choose this show? Because it had just opened. It was opening week. And she said, well, um, we're in New York for a two-day theater weekend. And we're seeing this show. And then we're seeing Leopoldstadt tomorrow night. So I said, oh, that's cool. We're going to see that show next week. Um, and then she said, and on, she said, what made you come to see this show? I said, well, I just wrote my first book and I told her what it was called. And she said, oh, I'm an author too. On Sunday morning, I'm giving a reading. I won this contest. So we flew in from Austin, Texas for me to do the reading and to see these shows. So I said, oh, great. What's your name? Ruth Pennebaker. And I said, I'll look you up. I'll buy your books because there's no coincidences. I felt I'm supposed to read this woman's work. And then I said, Pennebaker, Austin, Texas, tell me, are, do you happen to be related to Jamie Pennebaker? And he leans forward and says, that's me. And she points to him. So I met someone who I have a soaring into positive narrative workshop. He's a giant in the field of positive psychology. And I met him by opening up a conversation with his wife. But, you know, I chose those seats. They chose their seats. And we were brought together in this synchronistic, coincidental way, which was really wonderful. Uh, that's a great story, too. And uh, the principle that you illustrated there the, that you're, is that you got to ask. You can be sitting next to somebody that has some stuff something that's good for you and good for them and if you don't ask you're not going to find out about it and right. that's a basic idea that it can be set up so nicely and it probably happens a lot to people but they don't ask you have the belief this openness to be open that there could be something there it might not be but at least you're i think of it as like mining for gold there's like the, there's the nuggets among the among among the gravels in there and you can find some stuff that might be useful for you and that's what you just did well lisa we're having to come to the end of uh our time together uh and i think we need to report re repeat uh, the name of your book and uh the other things that you are doing um so that uh, our listeners and viewers can yet remember further what you're up to so so it's soaring into strength love transcends pain it's on amazon and a lot of other places where you can buy books and we have a hardcover book paperback book an ebook and an audiobook so you can uh, enjoy the journey however you like to uh, get your books. And it's under my name, Lisa Honig, H-O-N-I-G, Booksbaum, B-U-K-S-B-A-U-M. 
Thank you, Bernie, so much for having me on your show. And uh, for everyone listening, I'm sending you strength and love. Thank you, Lisa. This cycle's fear is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.